Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. It's the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, advertising, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything's an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm an editor with Adweek.com. With me as he is each week is Tim Nutt, our creative editor. Tim, welcome back. Hey, thanks, David. And also excited to welcome back our senior editor on the TV beat who wrote our cover story this week about FX and John Landgraf. Jason Lynch, welcome back to the show. Hey, happy to be here. And we've also got back frequent guest and social editor for Adweek, Sammy Main. Sammy, welcome back. Hello. Hi. All right. Well, we have got a lot of news to talk about. We're going to talk about Jason's cover story on FX because, man, there is just... A whole lot going on there in terms of what it says about the state of the TV industry and where it's headed and transformation that it's going through uh, and kind of the big power players of Netflix and HBO and FX. And man, there's just there's a lot kind of encapsulated in that one profile. So I'm looking forward to it. But first, the news. All right, we uh, we usually record on a Friday uh, and then drop this uh, drop the episodes at the end of the weekend uh, for the Monday morning commuters and such. Uh, but this week uh, we just weren't able to. A few of us were out on Friday, and so we're recording Monday. And it's actually it worked out pretty well because over the weekend this story just kept uh, kept snowballing. Uh, and basically, what was uh, you know as many of you have probably heard. Uh, the NRA has been facing quite a bit of backlash uh, ever since the uh, school shooting in Parkland, Florida, and uh, it's it's been increasing largely driven by the students who survived the shooting, who have become very vocal uh, you know, leaders of this discussion. Uh, at least one of the kids, maybe more now, has even more followers than the NRA itself on Twitter. So these are uh, teens who have become very highly visible, uh, highly vocal uh, activists, and they are, you know, to use a uh, bad metaphor, they're setting their sights directly on the NRA. Uh, and they really feel like it has been a prime contributor to gun culture uh, and to kind of stymieing the ability to have a discussion around gun control, around uh, high capacity magazines and bump stocks and a lot of these uh, kind of changes that could be made. So over the weekend, what we saw, and, and I think it really picked up on Friday and then kind of kept rolling, was brands dropping any sort of NRA affiliation they had. This was 
led by a very direct boycott effort uh, sparked by some of these teens and pushed by a, a lot of people who are upset about the status quo of uh, kind of what's available and how easily firearms can be purchased. And um, just wanted to recap real quickly before we dive into the discussion, who all uh, has has kind of stepped forward and who has not, uh, who is still at the center of these boycotts. We've got Delta and United have ended their discounted group rates for things like going to the NRA National Convention. Uh, Hertz, Enterprise, National, Alamo, and Allied Van Lines have all ended their group discounts for the NRA. Avis and Budget have a rewards program of some kind for NRA. I'm not uh, really keen on the details there, but uh, they are going to be dropping that. Uh, MetLife is ending a member discount. Uh, similarly, there's an insurer called Chubb uh, that's been underwriting an NRA-branded insurance for gun owners. They are dropping that. Uh, First National Bank of Omaha has an NRA-branded Visa card. They're going to be dropping that. Uh, Symantec's going to be ending their member discount for their software uh, for NRA members. And Wyndham and Best Western actually had dropped their uh, NRA affiliations uh, several years ago, uh, but they spent much of the weekend kind of responding to people just saying, no, we haven't you know, done anything with them for years. Uh, so they've been coming up quite a bit. Uh, the one uh, big brand that has not uh, backed off is FedEx. Uh, FedEx has been under a lot of pressure. They have a 26% discount for NRA members. And uh, so far, they've, they, to my knowledge, as we record this, they have not backed off at all. And so a lot of that boycott effort is being targeted at them. Uh, and then, Jason, I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, too. The one area uh, beyond FedEx, the one area where we're still seeing um, a lot of this uh, protest effort directed is on streaming services that carry NRA TV. Uh, so this is pretty much all of them. Uh, Amazon, Apple, Google, Roku, basically anybody who offers streaming channels uh, carries NRA TV. Uh, let, let's kind of start there. Uh, Jason, I'm just curious, do you think since that's one of the last big holdouts that, uh, you know, these major categories or sectors that have not, you know, backed down yet on this NRA affiliation, do you think uh, they will? Do you, do you foresee any kind of uh, traction with those sort of with those streaming providers? Well, it's interesting because I get the sense that they're almost trying to ride out the storm. And you saw a lot of these other brands pull the trigger very quickly on terminating these deals. And Amazon and the other streaming providers you mentioned haven't done that yet. And I think that also might be in part because the way a lot of these OTT providers are set up, that you only really see the channels that you subscribe to. So, for example, on Roku, the only channels that you will see kind of in your little bundle are the ones that you choose to see. So I didn't even know that NRTV was kind of part of that bundle. Um, so I think it's easier for people who, you know, you over the weekend, there was a lot of people saying, hey, Delta, I'm not going to fly you anymore if you don't, you know, if you don't end your deal with the NRA. I don't quite think we're going to see that level of protest on the streaming services just because of the way that they're, uh, that, that they're constructed. Um, but that's not to say that one or more of them won't ultimately give in. But I don't see it happening quite yet. Sammy, I'm sure you were watching some of this uh, go down over the weekend, over the last few days. Uh, you know, it felt like the brands were obviously quite quick to respond. I mean, do you think they're just kind of doing some quick opportunity cost analysis here of, hey, the the potential? Because the response to every single tweet, so Delta tweets like, 
hey, we're no longer going to have this partnership with NRA. And then the first, the top comment is always, uh, you know, bless you, Delta. I will become, you know, I will stay loyal to you. This is so great. The next comment is always, go to hell, Delta. I'm never going to fly <laughs> you again. <laughs> like there's, there's always going to be two sides of this, but it seems like. Yeah. For for almost all these uh, brands, the 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 math seemed to be pretty quick. They they didn't wait very long to make these decisions. They didn't wait very long. In my head, it's kind of fun to imagine that they've been kind of waiting to make this decision for a while, and now it was the right time. It was kind of a good excuse, and you know, it seems like they're getting positive press, even though there will always be those naysayers. Um, I don't know. It just feels like the the whole country is kind of riding this wave right now, and they don't seem to want to be left behind on the wrong side of history. So I don't know. I'm a fan no matter what the reason is. <laughs> Go ahead and do it, folks. It's fine. Yeah, and it seems like to an extent it's, it's a – you know, it's one of those situations where there's no perfect answer because even when these brands have said, you're right, we're sorry, we won't be working with them anymore. And then again, browsing through the response, it's like, well, you shouldn't have been working with them in the first place. Mm-hmm. And, and we, <laughs> you know, it's like we shouldn't be thanking these brands. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's in a way it's a no win scenario. But in the end, I think they took the the out that seemed the, the safest. Um, you know, Tim, were you surprised at all by the velocity of how, how quickly these brands kind of backed off a, a little bit i mean i think you know this didn't happen after uh vegas it didn't happen after orlando uh you know i think you know i, I don't think we should be praising these brands too much because they're just responding to pressure mm-hmm. uh you know being being directed at them this is not you know <laughs> this is not proactive dropping of the nra by them so yeah i, I you know I, I i was a little surprised uh, at how quickly but you know i think that's that's down to the grassroots movement that these students are leading in florida that's the real story here i think the brands are are purely reactive uh, in this in this case yeah that that's what i was about to bring up too is it what feels so different about this shooting uh, compared to the, the ones you mentioned and many others is that there has been this cycle right this response cycle that's been the same Maybe not going all the way back to Columbine, but in the modern social media era, it's, you know, it's grief and outrage followed by thoughts and prayers, followed by it's, you know, it's too early to talk about this. And this it's just this kind of constant cycle uh, and then debates about whether you should, you know, name and discuss the killer and just it's the same cycle over and over each time. What seems to have broken the cycle this time is the teen survivors uh, and the fact that, you know, I've seen a lot of people saying because these politicians are trying to come out against some of these teens and say, oh, you know, they're actors or they're being goaded on by liberals or whatever. And, you know, a lot of these teens, you know, they are natives to social media and they are just destroying these, you know, these older (laughs) folks who are trying to come in. Uh, Sammy, I I feel like that's been a recurring theme is like that. They've just some of these politicians have never had an opponent uh, opponent as passionate plus native plus just savvy in their ability to, to you know, reap the, the whirlwind on these guys. There's a John Mulaney quote that I'm going to butcher, but basically he says that, like, never get into a fight with teens because they're mean and accurate. <laughs> they will point out <laughs> exactly what you don't want to hear, <laughs> what you don't like about yourself the most. Um, and as someone who was also once a teen in Florida and who also wanted to roast Marco Rubio on a very public forum, I'm so pleased for these good, <laughs> good children for kind of being way more mature than they're than they should be 
they're, I mean, there was an article where they're, they're still going home and like sleeping in their parents' beds because they're still so traumatized from what happened, but they're out here on kind of the front lines making waves and making people not brush this aside. And I think that's so important and incredibly volatile <laughs> and dangerous to do online just because of what we've already seen of kind of the nature of death threats and, and kind of people who disagree with you. But again, um, they've kind of been forged in these fires <laughs> from the beginning. They were bred for this specifically, and it's kind of great that they that they feel comfortable to step up to this. And it's also just fascinating thing. You know, this is this is a, a huge crowd of voters of teens who are mm-hmm. about to hit voting age. They have massive influence and they have, you know, a lot of resonance. You know, there's been all this talk of the, of the you know, anticipating a blue wave in the midterms. And there's always pushback to the sitting president. Uh, and, and so I, I think that's to be expected. But, you know, and honestly, I, setting aside even what sparked it, I think anything that gets teens really active and enthused about being part of the of politics and voting uh, is, is great. It's horrible that it has to come out of something so tragic as this. But, you know, it, it, it's hard to think of another case where, you know, such a kind of a positive outpouring has come out of something. Because, again, usually it's just this really depressing cycle that just the farther it goes, the worse it feels. And it feels like you're making no headway. Well, we will uh, definitely be keeping an eye on it uh, to see how these other brands react, if at all. Um, you know, if if any more, if FedEx, if any of these streaming services respond or, you know, who knows? Uh, I think the discussion's also been evolving about who, what companies are considered to have an affiliation with the NRA? What is that, uh, you know, and will it go beyond the NRA? The NRA is one group, uh, but there are certainly quite a few others out there. And politicians are getting, uh, you know, increasingly drawn into the center of this debate. So we will keep an eye on that. Uh, That's it for the news. And now let's talk about this week's ads worth watching. All right, Tim, you've got one. It's not really uh, an ad you can watch so much as look at and chortle, uh, but <laughs> coming out of the UK, uh, tell us about what you've got this week. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's a print ad, um, and it's uh, this is by no means an NRA-level crisis, but um, KFC, uh, KFC in the UK had a, a crisis this week or last week. Um, apparently, they've been using DHL for for, for chicken deliveries, uh, as of about four months ago, and uh, last week DHL completely messed up their delivery system somehow, and so I think about 600 KFC restaurants in the UK um, didn't have any chicken to to sell last week, and you know obviously this was uh, kind of a crazy situation for them, uh, for their customers. And I think originally they didn't really uh, address it right away. Uh, no one really knew what was happening beyond um, signs on the on the windows at these restaurants or on the doors. Uh, but eventually, uh, KFC's sort of social uh, savvy kicked in. This is a brand known over in the UK as well as here for being pretty pretty good and social. Uh, created a very social friendly print ad. Uh, it actually ran as a print ad in newspapers, um, where they basically just apologized for the entire situation. And it was a pretty witty, uh, headline. It was basically a, a bucket of KFC, but instead of, um, instead of the letters KFC, those letters had been rearranged to say FCK. 
so you know that's the the expletive on a lot of folks' minds probably when they arrived at, at the KFC and didn't find it to be open. Uh, also, probably what the KFC executives were were thinking as this whole thing was going down. So it was a pretty fun apology ad. Uh, it just said, you know, we're sorry. There was a, a paragraph of text, uh, very simple on a red background. Um, I could read a little bit to you. It's you know, part of it towards the end said uh, it's been a hell of a week, but we're making progress. Uh, every day, more and more fresh chicken is being delivered to our restaurants. You know, it went to thank the customers, or, or basically apologizing to the customers, and then thanking the KFC employees and also the franchise partners. So, it, I don't know. It's a very striking visual, and it's one of those you know situations where I think um, crisis management people are kind of pointing to this and saying this was this was handled pretty well. Uh, you know, the the decision uh, to kind of you know throw this this sort of pseudo curse word on a on a on a bucket of your product was kind of fun and, and clever and you know everybody seemed to really like it uh, everyone you know who was kind of annoyed at KFC over this situation i think the this communication really kind of diffused that uh, to a large degree and you know it's a temporary problem it's like a week long problem and i think uh, the communications from this was done by mother london uh, the creative end strategy were done by mother and I think this really, you know, helped the, the situation, and and it was a, it was a nice a nice apology to see, and and cleverly done. Yeah, I, you know, the, I chalked this one up under the the category of print ads made for social media. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Definitely. like it 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 run it ran it ran in tabloid uh, newspapers in in the UK. Uh, but I mean, come on. We all know that it was really there for people to tweet. Uh, Sammy, I, I, I assume I'm not wrong there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and for those of us across the pond, as it were, it was kind of nice to see a brand not take themselves so seriously and kind of be a little cheekier than, than sometimes brands can be over here. So people online were absolutely, I mean, still maybe a little mad <laughs> about the hashtag KFC crisis, but they were, I think, overjoyed that a brand was able to poke fun at themselves as well. Kind of reminded me of uh, FC UK, right? The old French connection mm-hmm. uh, would be curse word, but I, I, they didn't, they're still around, but they didn't uh, have anything to say about this, strangely enough. I think I think they've tried to move away from that FC UK positioning lately in the last right. five or 10 years. But uh, kind of reminded me of that, too. It's interesting looking at the difference between uh, KFC in the U.S. and KFC U.K. In terms of their marketing, uh, you know, KFC U.K. did that ad with with chickens, a bunch of chickens strutting around uh, to X going to give it to you by DMX, <laughs> which is maybe my favorite KFC ever, but I, ad ever. But I can't picture that ever running in the U.S., you know. And even in the U.K., it was very controversial. Uh, you know, a lot of people felt it was basically like, look at this living, interesting, charismatic thing that you're about to kill and eat. <laughs> I think that was the most complained about ad of, of the year, the one you're referring to over nice. in the U.K., yeah, yeah, because they have a an advertising standards authority that even if they only feel that I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I, I think it's even if they only get one complaint, they can pull an ad off the air. That's right. Yeah, uh, yeah. so it's uh, yeah, they're they're it's just a different vibe. You obviously hear it's kernels. <laughs> it's yep. a bunch of, <laughs> pretty much bunch it. kernels. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's kind of that that fine line between uh, widening Kennedy in the U.S. and Mother uh, over in London. But all right, well, thank you, Tim, and uh, it's time to move on to our big discussion of the week. All right, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we've got uh, Jason in to talk about his cover story on John Landgraf. 
First of all, Jason, let's take a step back. Uh, I feel like we all talk about John Landgraf a lot. Uh, he's CEO of FX Network, and he's got a few other titles, I'm sure. But let's just start by kind of backing it up and, and tell us what makes him such an iconic figure in the TV industry. What really sets him apart from all these executives who you do not know by name if you're a normal human being? Well, there's a nickname that has popped up around him uh, where he's called the mayor of television. And uh, it's turned into a joke that that we're kind of serious about. He is one of the smartest executives uh, in television, not only when it comes to the industry, but um, even even more wider beyond that, his press tour seminar. So it's a television critics association press tour, and he speaks twice a year and they, they end up almost being like master classes about the industry and where it's going. He, uh, he's the one who coined the term peak TV a couple years ago to describe this glut of programming right now that where scripted series have you know more than doubled in the past few years. He was the first TV, TV executive to really see Netflix as the threat that it now is, um, where now every single network out there is coming up with a strategy to compete with Netflix. But three or four years ago, he was kind of the lone voice out there raising concern about Netflix and what it might become. But he also – he's passionate about all of his shows, about the creators that he works with, about really making the, the, the best possible show that he can make. And to him, quality is almost more important than than ratings. Obviously, he wants ratings as well. But he just he has a passion for the industry and for his job that is, I would say, unmatched by almost any TV executive out there. Now, one of the hottest topics for him and for anyone kind of in that Fox portfolio at the moment is the very likely acquisition by Disney. Did he have any concerns about that? Uh, he did initially, and certainly uh, that was one of the reasons we wanted to do this cover story. He, he's interesting enough on his own, but when that Disney deal was announced in December, I, along with many other people, I mean, my my immediate thought was, well, what does that mean for FX? Because that brand is so edgy and distinctive, and it just seems very uh, separate and disparate from what Disney's family-friendly brand is. And he he said yes he he was concerned first off he was shocked he 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 said in all the time he's been at Fox and he's been there for about fourteen years he never saw the Murdoch family as sellers he only saw them as buyers so when the uh, rumors first came out about this deal he just dismissed them he said oh there's no possible way that could happen. And he was a little nervous when when it was first announced, but he had a conversation with Disney CEO Bob Iger that put him at ease a bit. And he's looked at Disney's track record with a lot of their other brands that they've bought and have allowed to remain autonomous. When you think about Pixar, you think about Marvel, you think about Lucasfilm. So he looks at that and he says that that bodes well for FX's future. You know, there's a pretty big difference between uh, you know the ones you just named, uh, Pixar and Marvel, and and some of those versus FX. FX is a network known for its very gritty, uh, <laughs> very uh, often very dark, uh, and uh, you know it shows. You have an interesting uh, breakout in your story of kind of the phases of FX's catalog over the years, you know, this early period of Rescue Me and The Shield and Nip Tuck, uh, and to an extent, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, although a comedy. But I felt like those early ones, they felt to me like cable, you know, they they were cable shows, but just a little darker, like they walked everything a bit 
farther into that heavy space that you just didn't see, except maybe on like The Wire, you know, that, that you just didn't see very often. And then it kind of segued to this next wave of, uh, you know, a little more high-level drama with Justified, Sons of Anarchy, Damages. And then the third wave that you describe is uh, The Americans, American Horror Story, American Crime Story, Better Call Saul, Atlanta, Better Things. How do you—I'm assuming that these— this evolution has really been guided by Jan, John Landgraf. How do you feel that, that 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 catalog has changed over the years, and what direction has he been moving it toward? Well, it's interesting that that first wave of shows you mentioned; those were really statement shows, and you know, absolutely, this was them planting a flag and saying HBO was not the only cable network that can make shows like this, and FX is a basic cable network, and we're going to try to play in that same world. And so you had The Shield and Nip Tuck and Rescue Me. And so right away, you're making a statement shows. Now, ironically, one of the only missteps that John Langraff has had is during that same time period, he famously passed on Breaking Bad because he he didn't want yet another show about a, about a white male antihero, which was three of the first kind of four, four big shows on FX. Um, and then after that, he tried to expand the palette a bit. And that's when you get shows like Damages and you have Sons of Anarchy, which became one of their biggest hits and is actually going to launch a spinoff later this year. And I think it's really, it's really as he's building this band, he, brand, he is trying to find creatives who have stories, who have a voice that you can't find on TV anywhere else. And now in this world of peak TV, that's harder and harder to do. Um, and that's where he has managed to find these kind of diamonds in the rough. Donald Glover with with uh, with Atlanta and Pamela Adlon with Better Things. So as more competitors have entered the field, he has had to even had more of a laser focus on on what he's looking for, the creators he's he's trying to kind of find out there. And it's been to the benefit of certainly the network and to anyone who's fans of FX. Now, but before we go any farther, I did want to bring the panel back into the discussion just to see what everyone's favorites are from this catalog. Uh, I, did, I, I certainly haven't listed every FX show, but uh, Sammy, do you, do you have any favorites there? Um, I feel like I haven't watched an episode of Always Sunny in quite some time. But as, you know, a budding <laughs> comedy lover... In high school and college, it was so weird and out there and perfect and gross and terrible and so funny. Um, that show is very special to me, especially those early seasons. Um, and I need to sit down and actually catch up on Atlanta because I truly honor and respect everything Donald Glover touches. He's fantastic. One of his lines as Childish Gambino has haunted me for years, which is when I wrote for 30 Rock, I was under 25. Just like a little bit of a complex for me. Um, so he's fantastic. And I, I'm so happy that it kind of has a bit of an offbeat home to kind of match a bit of an offbeat show. So I think those two really stand out to me as someone who is not so much in the world of, of loving kind of gritty, dark dramas. I think those two would be my favorites. Uh, Tim, what about you? Well, it's funny, you know, it used to be embarrassing if you watched too much TV. Now I feel like it's embarrassing if you don't watch enough TV <laughs> since there's so much good stuff. Uh, I must admit that of all the shows you mentioned, the only one I've really watched is The Americans, which uh, I love The Americans and I generally love this kind of television. I just haven't, you know, I've watched more HBO than I have uh, FX, but uh, I mean, The Americans is so 
wonderful, uh, such an unusual premise for a show, uh, unexpected. And I think, you know, the acting and the writing on that show is, is, yeah, I think Jason, I think you've, you named that the best show of the year, one, at least once or twice. I did. Yeah. In 2016. Right. Yeah. yeah I mean, fa- it's fantastic. Yeah. It's such a great show and it's coming to an end pretty soon. Yes, this is the last season. It's uh, the the final season is going to start in March. And while I thought that the second to last season last year had a little bit of a dip in quality, I am happy to say I've seen the first episode of the new season, and they're right back on track. So uh, I I anticipate where uh, that ranking very highly on this year's top ten list as well. Excellent. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna make my plug for a show that I mean, people who love it love it, and people who don't probably don't even understand what it is was justified. Uh, I really felt I don't like cowboy shows i don't like cop shows you know it's it basically unjustified as a cowboy cop show <laughs> that takes place in in uh in rural kentucky uh what it does really well is just create characters with so much depth almost like faulknerian depth uh the criminals are really as complex and fascinating as and more so i would say even than the hero the the hero's great timothy oliphant's great uh it, but you know Raylan gibbons is one of the classic kind of like uh i, I don't know if he qualifies under your anti-hero <laughs> you know list but he's more of the the traditional white hat kind of cowboy but um but you know it's just such a great show and the fact that my wife and i neither of whom really like any shows that fall under those usual kind of genres just ate up every season of it and and could and we were ready for it to be over in the sense that it felt like it it needed to sunset while it still mattered kind of like the americans and kind of like some of these other shows uh but uh, what a great show and just to echo the americans i think what's funny for me about the americans is i can only watch about three or four episodes in a run and then i need to take a break it's like it's it's a lot and it's very heavy and they do not go light on the emotional impact of what these people are doing uh and so i it's one i keep coming back to and i'll i'll mini binge with three or four episodes and then i'll be like okay i need a need a breather i don't, I don't <laughs> think anyone away. i don't think anyone's ever laughed on the americans have they like has any character ever laughed yeah, it's a very, very serious show. But yeah, I, I echo what you guys are saying. I think probably overall that is my favorite FX show of all time. And there is a lot of serious competition for that. I think uh, when when I think about my favorite TV shows and certainly the shows I watch now, FX takes up a bigger percentage of that than any other outlet. Uh, like I said, the, the upcoming series of uh, se- season of Americans is great, but I also love what I've seen of the new season of Atlanta. Last season of Better Things was great. Uh, you really can't go wrong for, for most of FX shows. It, it's, it's almost jarring to me when I watch an FX show that I don't like because they've just set the bar so high for quality that you expect everything that's on that network to be among the best things on TV. No pressure. Well, so- yeah. <laughs> so let's uh, let's continue on that thought because you have a great quote that I really love in the story where John Langroff talks about, you know, that you can plan for a quarter or you can plan for a year. And that's what obviously what most networks are. They feel lucky if they can even think a year out. Uh, but he says that he plans for the decade and that that's his. So you mentioned and you can discuss this a little more in, in more depth, but that FX had kind of a rough year because of some delays on some of their biggest shows. But this was his argument of why that's that's not as big. A, and maybe he's just making excuses. But, you know, it it's he's got a pretty good argument. So what does he mean by that about planning for the decade? Yeah. So this is a mantra that he came back frequently. And I just ended up settling on this anecdote he told about uh, American Crime Story and Atlanta specifically. Uh, 
So those are both shows that their first season came out about a year and a half ago and critically acclaimed People versus OJ just couldn't stop hoovering up awards, Emmys and Golden Globes and SAG Awards. And same thing with Atlanta and Donald Glover. And in both those cases, the creators of those shows went to John and said, we, we want to take some time to do some other things. Uh, Donald Glover wanted to play Lando Calrissian in the solo movie. Ryan Murphy has six other shows that he's working on as well, and he wanted to focus on those for a bit before coming back to the assassination of Gianni Versace. So John was in this position where you know m- most most networks would say, no, you have to come back 12 months later with a new show. And he knew that if he did that, that maybe the shows would come back, but quality-wise, they wouldn't be on a level of those superior, superb first seasons. So he says, you know, to his point, I, I don't program for the quarter or the year. I want to program for the decade. And while it hurt FX last year to not have either of those shows in the mix, they weren't on any top 10 lists. So FX, you know, maybe didn't have the critically acclaimed year last year that it had compared to 2016. But he says, if you look, if you, you think about our brand for the decade and having these season twos coming back that are going to be on the level of season one, that for us is, that's what this brand is about. It's it's about investing in the decade, not in the quarter. And yes, it hurt not having Atlanta and American Crime Story last year, but he feels like it's worth it when he sees the quality of the second seasons that are going to be airing, you know, the early 2018. Now, so for now, of course, FX is part of cable. You know, it's somewhat tied to that. They do have you know a streaming service, and they've got uh, you know they've they've experimented. But when you think about their some of their biggest competitors being uh, HBO, Netflix, uh, these kind of somewhat more standalone products, how do you feel that FX is doing in terms of navigating that the the way that the TV and industry is transforming around them and underneath them? Well, it's been a really difficult process for them. And it's one that they've been working on and they've been doing really well. And I think that if really just FX and AMC are the only people who kind of play in basic cable and in the ad supported world who have shows that are on that are on par with what you're seeing on HBO and Netflix. And they're really trying to position themselves as a, as an ad supported option. So, you know, the buyers I spoke to for this story, you know, they they love the fact that they have this opportunity to be aligned with shows of the quality of the Americans and the other shows that we've been discussing. That said, you know, as he looks forward, he realizes that FX is going to need to expand a bit. So last September, they rolled out an ad-free uh, bonus kind of option for, for subscribers called FX Plus. If you shell out another $6 a month, you can get ad-free versions of all the FX shows. But importantly, you already have to be a cable subscriber. So there's not a kind of direct-to-consumer option there. But then another reason why this was an attractive property for Disney to buy is because Disney is also looking at launching some direct-to-consumer streaming options to compete directly with Netflix. And they see FX's content as something that's going to be key to that. So uh, John Landgraf was telling me, you know, he, he feels like he wants FX to be the best brand out there. And he feels that in five years, that's going to mean an ad-supported version on cable. It's going to be a streaming service. 
It's going to be FX Plus being an option there, and it's really going to be um, something that's just beyond kind of cable, the cable world, and really is going to be everywhere you look, you're going to see FX represented there. Well, I definitely encourage everyone very strongly to go and check out Jason's story on adweek.com. The headline is, Can Edgy FX Thrive at Family-Friendly Disney? Got a lot of other great uh, articles in this week's print edition, so check it out on adweek.com. And that's all the time we've got for today. Big thanks to Jason, to Sammy, to Tim for joining me today. Uh, And uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, Our theme music is by Home. This episode was produced by Anya Fernando. Please take a moment to leave a review if you have not already on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they also help new listeners discover the show. I'm David Greiner with Adweek, and we will be back next week. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan.